I remember like turning and looking at the clock and there was something like eight minutes left and kind of in my mind I was like all right just you know enjoy it we're gonna go out on the field we're gonna score as many goals as we can we're gonna have fun oh, Becchio, well placed So two queer folks walk into an interview. Hey, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm able to hear my interviewee perfectly clear. Much in thanks to my ideal interview location. I'm actually recording from a closet, inside a closet. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I know. I just realized it, but this is uh, where I can get... Where, I, where everything best. can be the quietest, so. <laughs> the irony, recording from the closet. And my interviewee is Issa Berardo, who is talking to me from Long Island, having recently made the trip from California to be with their partner. Um, I Actually, I traveled with our dog, Goose, though, so that was a bit more stressful. <laughs> you guys own a dog the together? Their partner and fellow dog parent. Yeah, well, he started as mine, but since, I mean, I got him, like, right while we started dating, so we've definitely um, done a bit of co-parenting together. That's really gay. I gotta tell you, that's really gay. It is really gay. We went from, like, zero to 100, so now he's he's our dog. (laughs) And while I will not lie, you'll hear a good amount of this kind of banter, which I love, in this episode, that content, I'll point out, is not the primary focus of the interview. Rather, the conversation we have on the show today aims to uncover just a bit of Issa's story, their rise to becoming an All-American goalkeeper last fall, and retirement, and the ways both athlete and non-athlete life have informed their journey in embracing their non-binary identity. So I know that you're not from here, right? You're not from this nation. Mm, well, yes. Okay, and just no. take us back. Take us back. We'll start from give us the story of your birth. No, <laughs> um, the whole the whole story, all twenty two years. Yes, but in the beginning. So yeah, I'm wrong about that. You're you have some sort of non American roots yeah, origin. Yes. So I spent the first eight years of my life um, living in England, mm-hmm. which is actually where I first started playing soccer. Um, I grew up playing on a boys' team. Uh, as well. So that's uh, was my first introduction to the sport. But I was born in San Francisco, moved to England, I moved to a little borough uh, called Richmond, which is just outside of London, with my folks, um, and lived there until I was nine. And then both my younger siblings were born there. So um, yeah, I have that little part of my history, which is always, I I sometimes forget about it, because it feels like it was a really long, it was a ways away. But um that's where I first got into into playing soccer. Or, or football, I guess. But, football, uh... as you would call it over there, yeah. <laughs> but, so you don't have an accent. I'm not hearing it. No, not anymore, but if I really oh, try God. hard, I could maybe bring it back. It's not we, as good as it was. We might get more listeners if you do the British accent. I feel like it's I know, really... I just pop on over to the British accent, but all my folks who would be listening from over there would be like, that's rubbish. So. <laughs> do you, yeah. you have citizenship over there? I do. I have dual citizenship. Very yep. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Just in case things get really bad. but In case things get really bad, <laughs> although 
Um, Can't say that over there. It's it's not much better. Every freaking episode, I'm like, this is not a political podcast, and then I do the thing I always do, which is I can't help it. It's always political. We can't ever be not political, in my opinion. Exactly, because that's coming from a place of privilege if we're trying to be apolitical. 100%. But we'll reel it in for the people that did not go to small liberal arts colleges. (laughs) So you started playing football back in England, soccer. I'll use soccer for the rest of the podcast. And But getting more specific, how did you land on being a goalkeeper? You obviously decided, I'm a weirdo, and yeah. this <laughs> position is going to play to that. 100%. Well, it actually wasn't even until much later in life that I um, switched over to being a goalkeeper. So I grew up playing on the field. Uh, I played center mid. It wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school that I jumped into the keeper position. And it was kind of like a, you know, my freshman year, I was playing on my high school team and our goalkeeper was late to the game. And so I was like, you know what, I'll do it. And just was thrown into goal and kind of had a great game. And then throughout the rest of the season, the running joke was that like when our senior keeper graduated, I was going to step up mm. in the goal and I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. And then sophomore year came and I was like, let's do it. And I jumped in goal, um, and had three, uh, incredible seasons for my remaining high school experience. Um, and I, I mean, I, I like, I fell in love with it. I immediately fell in love with <laughs> the position, um, which is, it is definitely weird to want to just put your body right. online and throw yourself across <laughs> the goal. But, um, yeah, I kind of like refound my love again, uh, with the sport through, through becoming a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. And so now you've touched a little bit on the genesis of your career as an athlete, but also can you go back in time to... Kind of take Kate, take us through as much as you're comfortable with how you started to become aware of your gender identity and what were those thoughts at first and then how did they develop as you got older? Yeah, so it's really quite interesting because I've always found that my gender identity has kind of been wrapped up in an, an interesting way with you know, my identity as, as part of my identity as being a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Um, so even, even as a kid, I mean, I must've been like three years old when I was like, I'm not wearing dresses. I'm not wearing skirts. I want to throw on shorts and overalls. I kind of like, you know, I told people I was a boy and I believed it for myself. You know, I felt like a boy. Um, and so even as a young kid, I, I grew up with a lot of guy friends. I was very much labeled as a tomboy, very much, kind of rough and tumble, wanted to hang with all the guys. I mean, I grew up playing on an all-boys team, um, partly because they didn't have any any girls' teams uh, at that age, and also I didn't feel like I wanted to mm. – I, I didn't feel like a girl. Um, and so that's – you know, I have really strong memories of, of a childhood feeling already like my gender identity uh, – I wasn't aligned with with how I was born and how I was labeled. So, you know, over time, that continued to evolve and develop. Um, I, you know, remained very kind of like neutral in my presentation and clothing and and the things that I threw myself into. I mean, I, I grew up playing soccer, but I also grew up painting and playing guitar. So, you know, a lot of different activities that 
you know, might be gendered in, in different spheres, but to me felt very neutral. Um, and then in high school, I came out as queer um, in terms of my sexuality. Um, and that was kind of like the first time that I fully embraced my sexuality and became open with it. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until it wasn't until college that I really finally found like I had the words to describe who I was, which is, which is non-binary. Um, I think growing up, I kind of had this idea, like I had to be either a man or a woman and neither of those options really felt right to me. So I was like, God, I just feel super dissatisfied with this whole, with this whole binary, but it wasn't until I got to college and until I got to Pitzer that I, you know, gained the language and the knowledge and kind of the tools to be able to put words to my experience, which I had experienced my whole life. Um, and that's, that's when I came out as non-binary and that's when I feel like I finally truly was like, this is me. Like, this is who I am. This is who I've always been, but now I can finally articulate it and show it to the world. Well, thank you for taking us a bit through that. Um, absolutely. And how did, were you talking to your loved ones, people in your circle about, you said you came out as queer, but then were you talking as you were growing up about how you didn't feel right wearing girls clothes, etc. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I mean, I don't think I was quite verbalizing it how I would now, obviously, but I mean, I, my family let me, you know, wear quote unquote boys clothes mm-hmm. and like kind of present myself how I wanted to. I remember like I had my hair cut short in a pixie cut for like, a long part of my childhood and my mom would always be like you know we'd be flipping through like the boys magazine in like the (laughs) in the hairdresser like finding the haircut and so definitely I had family members and a community that you know encouraged my my expression of my gender identity Mm -hmm. at the time Um, and I feel really incredibly thankful to to have had that growing up as a kid because not a lot of people can can share in that experience and so I definitely have a family who was like you know they're gonna do their own thing and we're gonna let them do it um and then over time as I as I came out with my sexuality there was a lot of acceptance and you know I've just I personally feel like I've continued to grow into myself and as I do that and continue to do that I've gained a lot more confidence um, and you know, it's, it's met with a lot of love and with a lot mm-hmm. of respect and, and, uh, support. So I'm incredibly thankful for that. Yeah. It's great to hear that you do have those, those people around you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my siblings, especially, I have two younger siblings and they are my, they're my rocks. <laughs> they're my everything. They've been like by my side through it all. So I can't say enough good things about them and same for my folks and people I love, which is really great. You talked about when you were younger playing on on boys teams because that's what was available at certain age groups. But then, you know, getting into high school and definitely in college, you think about the categorization of sport by gender with these specific labels. You know, you're on the girls' soccer team or you're on the women's soccer team. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that feel for you? And what were the ways you came to navigate that or address it or not address it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually partly what I I wrote my whole thesis on challenging the gender binary within athletics. So I feel like I've done a lot of I've spent a lot of my time and my experience um, towards addressing this. But um, I mean, definitely when I came out in college um, and came out to my teammates and had conversations with them about my gender identity, 
Um, that first that first season, it was hard. It was um, tough in a lot of ways because I think personally, I'd finally found who I was, and to be in a space mm-hmm. in which it was labeled, you know, a women's space, technically felt kind of like. I didn't necessarily belong or I would get mis- misgendered or mislabeled as something that I wasn't. And so I often felt a lot of anxiety about it, um, especially that first season um, right right after I came out. But I can't say enough for how proud I am to have been on the team that I was on because when I talked to my coach, who says hi, Coach Scanlon, who says hi, by the way, <laughs> she was immediately like, great like how do you want to approach it how do you want to tell the team all of this stuff and and now something that I think is really cool is that we don't even really go by the Pomona Pitzer women's soccer team anymore Mm -hmm. we just are the Pomona Pitzer soccer team um and my teammates and our our culture we've fully adopted that um which I think is pretty cool because gender is so interwoven into athletics I mean it it feels almost impossible to to pick it apart but it really is possible you know we don't really need gender to to determine how athletics should be structured so it's been exciting to be able to you know start those conversations on on my own team and and use my experiences as the jumping off point um but to also see them further that and take it into their own hands too has been really beautiful absolutely and I know actually I remember having a conversation with your coach about I believe there was a goalkeeper on, was it UC Sanic? I don't, oh no, because they're not your, you know what I'm talking about though, I think. Yeah, well, <laughs> there was, I think uh, there is a goalkeeper, there was a goalkeeper on UC Santa Cruz okay. who was uh, openly trans, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then it's kind of funny, the goalkeeper on the, the CMS team is also, also non-binary mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. use they them pronouns as well, so kind of opposing opposing teams keepers <laughs> but yeah. yeah so you guys are getting the the movement really going over there in the skyak yeah we are skyak is getting things done we're like <laughs> no more no more gender we're over it <laughs> i have a theory i want to hear what you think about this theory i am very aware of the fact that this is the second show in a row in which i have asserted having a theory um I really wanted to assure listeners that this will not be a theme moving forward in future shows. Unless I really do have a theory again. But that every woman, every goalkeeper is either LGBTQ plus identifying or crazy. Yeah. And I shouldn't use the word crazy either. I should not use the word crazy. You could say, wild, um, wild, wild, or fearless would be fearless. Good one, <laughs> in my opinion, yes. Um, yeah, I have definitely met my fair share of queer LGBTQI goalkeepers, and then the ones that don't identify are definitely like throw themselves into it wholeheartedly. <laughs> so you you have to have a certain element of like I don't even know what you call it. Yeah, wild. I guess just to to do to do what some of the things that we do so people are like dyeing their hair like it's just you never know what's gonna come out from a goalkeeper yeah yeah it's pretty exciting we like to keep things things (laughs) interesting (laughs) so you mentioned that you really started to come to terms have these real uh, realizations about your gender identity in a different way 
in college. I'm wondering, you know, were you taking classes, conversations? Was there a moment or it sounds like it was more gradual. I know I'm jumping around a bit here on, on the question sheet, but this idea of what effect did your four years in this environment have on your identity? I'm just I'm curious if if there's anything where you can specifically point to and say, OK, I'm, I'm realizing I'm looking at this in a different way. Yeah, I think a lot of it, well, I, I majored in gender and mm-hmm. feminist studies, um, so um, there was a lot, I mean, in those classes, it's a lot of t- about talking about race and sexuality, gender, you know, socioeconomic status, these things in society that are used to, to label us and, and a lot of theory that goes with it, and so I think through those courses, I definitely began to um, encounter language that I had been unfamiliar with or just kind of like realize how fluid and expansive, um, people are and the Mm -hmm. range of experiences are. And, and when it comes to gender, it is such, people think of it in such black and white terms, but it is such a, it's such a fluid spectrum of who people are and, and what sort of gender, um, they experience at different points in their life. You know, it, it changes, um, so that definitely had a huge role um, in in one being able to kind of self identify for myself um, that I am non binary mm-hmm. and finding that language to to put words to experiences that I've been experiencing but not necessarily knowing how to name. Um, and then the second part was that when I got to Pitzer, I just like felt I definitely felt like I was in an environment and a community that allowed me to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I had quite felt that in such a large setting before. I mean, definitely with my family, I, I had friends who, you know, I knew were support networks, but it wasn't until I got to Pitzer and felt like the space in general was a space that encouraged, you know, authenticity and encouraged expression. Um, and so being able to, to be part of that space for four years really gave me the freedom to just kind of grow into myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if I would have had that same experience at a different school. You know, I think, I think the place makes the person in a lot of ways, um, just as much as the person makes the place. So I feel really thankful to have had that space and to have had those support networks to have met people and friends who, who supported me like without a blink of the eye, Mm -hmm. you know, just hands down, uh, utmost support. So I feel really privileged in so many ways to have been able to, to share that experience and and to be able to be my most authentic self because it feels really great. Mm -hmm. Really, really great. It's just, it's (laughs) higher education just has this incredible power of in expanding your worldview. Like, it really does. Yeah, you're t- talking about the you know the professors and pulling people from in a in a case like Pomona and Pitzer all over the world. Yeah, it really does. It's it's powerful. It is so powerful, and I just you know I want I wish it it was much more accessible. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really still quite inaccessible to many people, and mm-hmm. so we have to make change that change that system among many. Mm-hmm. So. Well, hopefully people in hearing your story, we can be be a small part of that. I hope so, too. (laughs) (laughs) Was there, when did you start to, I want to talk about changing your body. Mm -hmm. How did you come to make that decision in college? And yeah. 
Um, for people coming in with no information. I have a little, a very tiny, tiny bit of information, but yeah, for people coming in with no information, just kind of explaining that. Yeah, so I recently had top surgery, little over a month ago, um, and it had been, it was a procedure that I had been planning for, like, seriously, logistically planning for, like, two years, Mm. um, because there are a lot of hoops you need to jump through in order to, you know, receive gender affirmative healthcare, um, another system that we really need to hop on to all those listeners, um, but yeah, I, it, it definitely kind of followed my coming out as non-binary, but after I realized that top surgery was kind of like this thing that I wanted to do, it opened the door for me to reflect on, you know, my childhood and, and, and the years before where I really began to realize that I've never had a connection to to my breasts and to my body in the way that felt like mine um and so it definitely you know it it was a lot of thinking I I used to feel really dysphoric in my own skin I would look in the mirror and like not recognize Mm -hmm. you know the body that I was in um and so you know when when you feel like that you you just for me I wanted to do everything I could to change it and top surgery um, was kind of like, was the thing that was going to make me feel good or what I thought would make me feel good. You know, there was part of me that was never, I don't think ever a hundred percent certain just because I also kind of felt like I, my experience in being non-binary has been such like an in-between kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been a lot of kind of discovery and a lot of, you know, thinking, just what's going to be best for myself. And after having gone through it, I can confidently say that this has been like one of the most life-changing experiences <laughs> of my life. I mean, I don't think I could have ever fathomed how much relief I have felt in the in the weeks following surgery. And I just feel myself, I feel confident. I look in the mirror and I love my body I have never felt so much love for my body so that's amazing it's been it's been a journey for sure though and it and it hasn't been easy it it hasn't been easy but I'm I'm really thankful I was able to do this for myself because it's been it's been a great experience yeah I mean speaking to one element of it not being easy again as an outsider I would um I have briefly spoken to a uh, Taylor Reifer Reifer I don't know how mm-hmm. you um, Reifer, yeah and I remember because we're we were friends on Instagram and I think it was in his bio he had like a you were trying to raise money for the surgery yeah I had a GoFundMe set up because mm-hmm. it is an expensive surgery and I'm really again incredibly thankful to the the community that kind of rallied and was able to either financially support me or, or just share my GoFundMe and get the word out there. But I was, I was able to raise the money that I needed. Um, and yeah, Taylor is one of my best friends. So that's, he's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Love him lots. Yeah. Shout out. We'll have to uh, tag him in the, in the podcast notes <laughs> yeah. when we publish this. Um, if, if we can pivot a little bit, again, these things are entangled, so it'll come up again, but pivoting, to more soccer talk, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about your senior year, your fall, the, the fall season, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny. I was actually covering the the men's D3 semifinal for D3soccer.com. And I think all four semifinals, the two for men and the two for women, were played on the same day. And yeah. the women played first. And anyways, I was... Uh, covering the one of the men, the first men's semifinal, and they could not stop talking about you, the commentators. Oh, no way. Yeah. So they were talking, you know, oh, the, the, I don't know if you guys were the first or second semifinal, like, oh my god, Issa Rardo, like, that's like, you know, one of the best performances we've seen um, in the knockout rounds of an NCAA tournament, so they were hyping you up. Wow, I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> I'm very flattered. But yeah, it speaks to you. So you had this run to the NCAA Final Four. You you were a key fixture of the team in this historic season. When did you know? Oh, this team is good, and we can go far. I realized that my freshman year, four years earlier than than the run we had. Um, that I was when you my... guys made it to. The Elite Eight? That was when we made it to the Elite Eight, mm-hmm. and at that point, that was the best run we'd had in program history, and to be a freshman on that team, my freshman year and my senior year were kind of very, they resembled each other in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, um, but that first year, I just was like, this is an amazing group of people, incredibly talented soccer players, but just overall brilliant human beings and we had a phenomenal season my freshman year we we won the league we we traveled we made it to the elite eight and from there on out I was like okay this is this is what we need to be doing this should be our goal and higher we we did the elite eight next it's final four it's championship and so I think coming into a team who has that drive and who has that talent and skill level it's inspiring it you 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 realize that you can do it and that these these goals are in reach um and so since freshman year it it became like okay what's what's next how do we you know push our game to the next level um and those the my sophomore and junior year were were tough years whether it was Mm -hmm. we were cultivating a lot of you know our culture, both on the field and off the field, and how we wanted to to present as as a team, but also as players, and and um, we put in a lot of work. And both of those years, our seasons ended um, a- abruptly in the Skyac tournament, um, which was is always heartbreaking when you feel like you have more to give, but your season is is over. And so then senior year, it was like, this is our time. We need to do it now. And kind of all the pieces came together. We had great leadership. The team, the, just the skill was unbelievable. We had a phenomenal freshman class coming in who were like, they bought in, they were ready to go. And I remember like our first team meetings together where we set our team goals um, without coaches, we were like, we're, we're going to the final four. <laughs> like it's our goal to win a national championship. Um, and to be able to come so close um, and just accomplish so many things mm-hmm. together. You know, we won regular season Skyac. We won the Skyac tournament, which I had never done in my four years until then, which was an, an amazing accomplishment. And to be able to do all that traveling together and, and have a seat at that banquet and, and play in that game and in that semifinal was just you know, all it all clicked. You know, mm-hmm. everything came together in, in those moments. Um so I could go on for hours about it. I, I never want to stop talking about that, my final season, because it was, it was phenomenal. I, so I always joke ways. about, I always joke about the retired athlete that, like, 
sits in a bar with their letterman's jacket that like talks about their the state championship game like that's Mm -hmm. gonna be you when you're 53 100% 100% (laughs) I mean my my roommate and teammate in college Brianna Lau excellent I love her with my whole heart great soccer player that's like what we would we just talk about soccer (laughs) all the time which was so funny because we played together we lived together like our lives were so entangled at school and you know it so much of it was soccer because we just had so much love for the sport and for the team so part of what makes you guys so good exactly exactly it's funny when you talk about like your goal being the final four talking as a team I, I remember when we used to talk as a team our goal was always to get on a plane together, mm-hmm. which meant go to the Final Four, because we were on the East Coast, but getting on a plane for you guys, that would be like a, a preseason event. Like, getting on a yeah. plane was nothing special. Yeah, we have to do a lot of traveling, and especially when we when we got into the national tournament, it was like back-to-back mm-hmm. weekends of just plane, plane trips. I mean, I think out of all the teams, we had done the most traveling, hands down. I mean, we'd mm-hmm. gone from California to Iowa, back to California to uh, Missouri, back to California, then to North Carolina, and all the other teams are, like, pretty much on right. the East Coast or the Midwest, and so, um, yeah, we we did it 110%, though, <laughs> you know, we were in, we were ready for it, um, which I think is great when you have that team buy-in, and everyone is like, this is what we're going for, we are all here for it, and we know that this is something in reach, it was... It's a pretty powerful feeling. Yeah, I think I, I honestly feel like I'm going to pull a hamstring just hearing you talk about all that travel. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not, not too easy on the body. I mean, I look back at it, I, it's, I'm so ridiculous. I'm already like, oh, I feel so old. You know, even in season, like, it has I'm hanging up old. now. I'm hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't do that. But you, you feel it in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting. It takes a toll, but... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had it any other way, I don't think. Yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah. Getting to the end. The end of the end. The end of the end. So you you guys put up a great fight in the, in the semis, but it wasn't yeah. to be. And yeah. you and I joined the club together of having our careers end. Thanks to Alice Ann Wilbur and William Smith. The Herons, whatever. The Herons. Those Herons. <laughs> Yeah, so I distinctly remember being in upstate New York and being down 2-0 to William Smith and on their terrible field and looking up at the clock, looking at the scoreboard and, like, watching those seconds, like, tick down. And I'm wondering if you had a similar experience or how did how did you feel as those... Yeah. Fi- as it came to a close and you saw your time as a sage hand uh, finish up. Yeah, it it's it is a weird experience. I mean, we put up a really great fight and especially in the second half, we were really pushing. I mean, we had a couple of really great chances on goal. I think something went off the post and so like even though we were down 2-0, um we weren't done fighting. Um but I I did have a, a very similar experience. I, I remember like turning and looking at the clock and there was something like eight minutes left and kind of in my mind I was like all right just you know enjoy it like Hmm. enjoy these last eight minutes um and it I was still like okay we, we can score we can do this but I was also like I'm you know I might never 
be on a field again. I just want to be here with my team. I want to finish this game strong, and I and I want to I want to end on a really positive note, which is a hard thing to do when it when it comes to your when you're talking about your whole career. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember just thinking like you know play with joy, which is which mm-hmm. is the the mantra that I have tattooed on my forearm and kind of my reminder through it all is that just just enjoy it, be happy, be where you are, and. You know, let's make these last ma- eight minutes the toughest for William Smith and go out on that. <laughs> but wow, I've, I've people that were got to be your teammates should feel feel honored. Just hearing <laughs> hearing you talk about the the experience, the 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 student athlete experience for you, it's really just amazing to hear. It's very sweet. I have a lot of um, I have a lot of love for my team. I always will, and I have a lot of love for the game. So, when you have a good team and you have a game that you love to play, it's it's pretty, you know, things fall into place, which I'm thankful for. When did you get that tattooed on your arm? I had it tattooed on my arm uh, a week before I left for Pitzer. So a week before I left oh, for preseason. So cool. That's awesome. Um, it's actually something that my dad would say to me before every game I played. He was always just like, just go play with joy. It was never like, you need to score or pass more or all this. He was always like, go have fun. Um, and so it's it's in his handwriting. And I had it tattooed with my glove on so I'd be able to see it while I played. That's so cute. I'm going to cry on my keyboard. We're going to have the software, like, malfunction over here. Yeah. And you, Garner, you got all the awards you could possibly, like, ask for in the after season finished up. You were an All-American. That's when we first met when I, you were heading to the all you were rushing to the All-American banquet after just getting yeah. off a plane. Um, yep. But ultimately, you know, the dust settles, things quiet down, and I know you didn't really get to have a senior, a second semester as a senior um, mm-hmm. in full, but yeah, what's it, what's retired life been like in the past seven-ish months? Again, you had this life-changing uh, event in having top surgery, but yeah, anything else? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely, well, I mean, the past, you know, seven months have just been a bizarre experience all around, um, what with <laughs> having to leave school and everything. Um, I think after having top surgery, um, I mean, I haven't been able to really be active um, in a long time mm-hmm. in a way that I, I know I was before getting top surgery. And that's, it's, it's hard for an athlete to not or even even just a retired athlete to not want to go and and be active and so it's been a lot of kind of mental relearning in my mind about what recovery um is and should be I think in my own experience as an athlete I was like I do not want to recover I just want to play like the whole time just just go 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 and now after having this surgery um I have had to do a lot of work to think of recovery as being something really active that I can do for myself um so I'm you know just been trying to focus on that mostly the past the past month and how I can recover so that I can hopefully you know go back out and be active again and and do all these things that I love to do um yeah what do you see I, uh what do you see your posts uh, competitive soccer. Are you going to join some rec leagues? Are you going to be a goalie? Are you going to go back out to being a field player? Like, what's that going to look like? 
I don't know. It's hard to to imagine throwing myself back in goal. Um, I don't know if my body can quite handle it in the way that it once was able to. So I might, you know, put, strap my boots on or relive my glory days as a field player. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely was, you know, after season ended, I was like, I'm not ready to give up soccer. I want to keep playing and was definitely trying to kind of pursue some more, Mm -hmm. you know, professional opportunities here and there. Um, but then with, with coronavirus and everything, it all got kind of thrown up in Mm -hmm. the air, but definitely would love to, to join some rec leagues and go and, and kick a ball because I mean, it's, it's a part of who I am. I don't think you can ever let that go. Of course. And I know, I know that every recent grad hates this question about what they're going to do next, but you have some sense of what you, uh, some options and maybe do you have a general, like where you're going to be located in the country? You're still sorting it all out, but I'm still sorting it all out. I have some general options here and there. My approach has kind of just been like, find something that you'll be happy doing and let it, Mm -hmm. you know, do it and let it take you somewhere else. Um, play with joy, work with joy. Exactly. Just, you know, as long as you have joy, it'll all work itself out. Um, But I have some options here and there. You know, there's a chance. um, I did apply for a post-bac position at uh, The Hive on Pomona's campus. So, you know, there's a chance something might work out there. I've been involved with the prison abolition movement for the past, you know, two years and while I was on campus. So I'm trying to find some work with, you know, grassroots organizing within that sector. And I've always been been an advocate for lgbtq and queer and trans rights Mm -hmm. so there's different areas of focus that i'm definitely looking into and trying to manifest into more of a a job-like um entity but in terms of there's nothing concrete yet Mm -hmm. so i'm still kind of putting all the pieces together well again i stand by the statement i made regarding being your teammate i think any workspace would also be lucky to have you (laughs) thank you thank you I hope so too so hopefully I know things will work out they always do Mm. so do you have any extremely wise parting words for those that are transitioning from one phase of their life to the next closing a chapter as a are you 22 oh my goodness I'm 22 yeah um I don't know I would just say do your best to to find something, anything that makes you happy and then do it. That's, it's really simple. Maybe, maybe not that wise, but I think maybe it goes forgotten sometimes. Um, so I would just be a little advocate and reminder to find all those things, the people that make us happy and, you know, do them, love them, live them, (laughs) all of that. Certainly a thread that's uh, run through, through your story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really trying to get this episode out for Pride Month, but I know that this was published on July 2nd, two days after Pride Month 2020 ended. However, you know, Pride Month is every month. Pride Month is every month, every month, every day, live with pride all the time. Thank you to Issa Berardo for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.